Hey guys, it's good to be with you guys. Good morning. Uh, thank you for the calisthenics and stretching workout. Uh, that was needed and necessary. And uh, it's good to be with you guys. Open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 8. If you've got them, uh, let's get them open. And we're going to be walking through and looking and continuing this series, looking at Jesus. Who is this king? What is his kingdom like? Last night, uh, we started by just talking, hey, we have a king who doesn't just want our productivity. He wants our presence. He doesn't want just your work. He wants your worship. He doesn't just want your external busyness. He wants your heart, right? He wants to speak to you. He wants to love you. He wants to transform you. And uh, I want to celebrate a couple things before we kind of just jump in today. Today, I want to talk about this king and his word, okay? So he's a king who has a better word to speak over your life, a new word over your life, a life of freedom and grace and joy, and he wants to speak. We have a God who speaks, who teaches us, who reveals himself through his word. And so the big idea that I want to show you today is, is again, your life is going to be determined by the words that you hear, that you listen to, that you believe, and that you respond to. So I want to preach a message, our hearts, God's word, and uh, our response. So before I do that, I want to shout out your community a couple ways. The talent contest was amazing last night. Some of you guys are actually really talented, so shout out. Uh, some of you guys got some kind of man flute. I don't know what that was. That was amazing. Shout out man flute. You know what I mean? That was an amazing group. Uh, uh, also, there was this really cool moment with Grace, just to, to single her out, where she was extraordinarily vulnerable about like dark thoughts and stuff that we've all had, anxious, depression, whatever that is. Um, and I just want to say thank you for being a community that celebrated her. You guys stood, you clapped. You said, man, this is a place to be, it's safe to not be okay and to talk about our worst and our best. And I just want to say uh, that smells and sounds a lot like the kingdom of God. So can we just clap for just a community of grace that we get to be a part of? Um, Jarrell, I also just want to say it's a good fall retreat anytime somebody tears an ACL. So uh, there was basketball last night. This man's got on a man brace. He asked me because I'm an old man. I have knee braces. And so he asked me to borrow his, mine this morning. So if you see him limping around, he just got boomed on. Just everybody, just, he's got a large man got dunked on at fall getaway. I'm not speaking truth. I'm not going to lie about that. I, I don't know what happened. But um, anyways, it, it's been an amazing, amazing conference so far. So again, we're going to jump in Luke chapter 8. That's where we're going. So um, again, we have a God who speaks, but before we get into that, let me tell you about one of my biggest fails recently. So, uh, as a pastor, sometimes you get together with other pastors and, um, a lot of pastors need encouragement. It's been a crazy couple of years between the election and all the different social movements and then shutting down the church and then trying to reopen it. All the things that we've all gone through over the last two years and a lot of pastors are tired. So got around a, a group of pastors and one of our assignments was just get in a circle, listen to a pain point that another pastor has and try to pray for him. And, um, in the city that I'm in, city, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, I'm from Omaha, played basketball there, came back, started a church, and God's just blessed it. We planted five different churches across the city that are now saturating the city and raising the bar for gospel ministry. And so uh, in a weird way, some pastors look to me as like, um, hey, I, I can't wait to get time with this guy. Uh, he's going to really bless me. I can't wait to hear something he's going to share. And so I kind of felt this pressure like coming into this circle, like I've got some young guys, some church planters, some inner city dudes, they're just struggling. And uh, I just got to be honest, like one person was like, hey, here's my name. Here's my pain point. And I 100% heard their pain point, but I was not expecting this. They turned and was like, hey, Pastor Chris, would you pray for me? And I had that moment. Have you had this moment where your brain realizes you can remember what they were talking about, but you literally have no idea what their name is? <laughs> and then you're in this awkward spot like, hey, I know you just confessed like that one thing in your marriage. It's really painful to talk about. But I literally don't know who you are. So, and so I did a classic, what you guys would do in that moment. Brother, would you, Lord Jesus, you know this brother's name, and you know everyone's name, and uh, would you just bless 
him in his marriage to his wife that I don't remember his name, her name either. So like, would you just, nobody else has done that? Have you failed to listen? And because you failed to listen, it got awkward. Has anybody else had that moment? Maybe you had a friend that was telling you like a really deep story about a childhood experience, or maybe it was last night. And like at the end of like them telling you this thing, this sin, this confession, this story, you kind of like zoned out and they know you zoned out because at the, when they stop talking, you don't have any feedback or follow-up questions. Has anybody else had that awkward, awkward moment? Like you failed to listen or maybe you had a professor and they announced to you like in class that there was a test coming up on Friday, but because you were scrolling, checked out, checking out the cute girl sitting next to you, you failed to hear that and it created a really unfortunate situation when you came to class unprepared the next week. Has anybody seen the consequences of not listening well? Um, Failing to listen is going to impact your relationships, your work, your school. Uh, if you're in sports, if you don't listen to the coach, it's not going to go well for you. So it, it is critical that we learn how to listen. And today, Jesus is going to show us that how we listen, how we hear and respond to God, to King Jesus, to his word, will ultimately dictate not just where you spend eternity, but what you live for and who you live for right now. So the Bible has a really high view of God's word. Like this whole thing starts with God being a creator and he spoke the world into existence. Do you guys know that? Creation came through the power of our God's word. And then Romans chapter 10 says that your journey with Jesus, how did you become a Christian? Well, what was the triggering event? Romans chapter 10 says it happened through hearing the word of God. Like you either heard the word audibly or you read the word and what happened is the word of God is extraordinarily Christ-centered. Like Jesus called out the Pharisees because they knew this book, but they said, you study this book as if it's going to give you life, but you fail to see that it actually points to the life giver me, right? So we don't just get into this because we want to be theologians and we want to be knowledgeable. We want to understand every single book of the Bible so we can just feel awesome in Bible study. No, 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 no. That's not our heart. We want to know this word because it reveals the heart of our king. This is the voice of our king. This reflects his kingdom. This tells us about the king's promises, okay, and his purposes and his plans. So we love this, but it says in Romans chapter 10 that you, by, by hearing the words, you came to faith, right? Because by, by understanding the word of God, it was pointing you to the character of God and the personal work of Jesus Christ. And what the spirit of God did is convict you of your sin and help you see your, your savior, Jesus, rightly, and you place your faith. You heard and you believed. And we don't just do that to become Christians. We do that to grow as Christians. Jesus said this, that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. David, in the Old Testament, in Psalms, he says, I meditate on your law and, or, uh, and the laws of God because God's word day and night, because your word is sweeter than honey. It has instructed my life. I don't know if you, any of you guys have actually tried to like get fit, get your abs back, you know, get your high school body. Some of you guys are like, I still got it naturally. Okay, I get it. But like um, when you become like middle age, you're like, I can't continue to eat Casey's pizza uh, and still try to look active. And so one of the things you'll realize really quickly is like you did three air squats and it's amazing. Like all my friends, whenever they get a little pudgy and soft, they're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start doing CrossFit. All that. that lasts like a day and a half and then they pull a hammy. But you get it. There's a lot of people. And the strategy becomes like what I'm going to do is I'm going to start working out. I'm going to add to my exercise routine. But anybody who actually like will coach you in nutrition, it, like you are what you eat, okay? So if you eat trash and you run a mile a day, you're not going to get fit, okay? You have to fuel your body with actual healthy foods. You are what you eat. You can't outrun a bad diet. And in the same way, 
Christians, if you're wondering why your soul is empty and lethargic and tired and apathetic, I wonder what kind of diet we have, right? Like this matters for us because I want us to understand God's word is going to grow your affections. It's going to shape you, transform you. It's going to renew you. It's powerful. But again, I think this matters because we live in a world where there is absolutely no shortage of words. There's no shortage of words. I'm, t- I'm speaking to people and you have said words to each other. You've read um, blogs and listened to podcasts and you've been on, on Instagram and you've seen the same people with fake white teeth and hair plugs all telling you about how to get ripped and rich. You've seen those words. You've heard prosperity preachers. You've read gossip columns. You've looked at the self-help books. You've seen the inspiring random quotes that, as the MC uh, said last night, your mom is texting you. Like, we have no shortage of words in our life, but the, there's a different thing about the word of our king. He has a better word, and his word sustains and gives life and, re- and refreshes and instructs and calls us to repentance and correction and godliness and reveals the character of our God. So I want to just talk to us about the power of God's word because it's the power of the king. And so just so you know this, you can't separate. Like, there's, there's no one in this room that can be like, you know what, I like Jesus, but I hate his teachings, right? You can't separate the two. You can't be like, I really feel like Jesus has some amazing moralistic principles that if everybody followed, the world would be a better place, but I hate him. Like, you can't separate the word, right? The word, the words of a human being are, 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 are revealing of their character and their nature. And the same thing is with God. Like, you can't separate King Jesus and his word. All right, so first, three things I want to show you guys as we walk through Luke chapter 8. The first is this. We are supposed to spread and support the ministry of God's word, all right? I'm going to tell kind of, the, you're going to walk through this. And if you're a Bible reader, what I want to do today is I'm camping out in a Bible text, and I'm giving my, myself permission just to be a Bible teacher. So this might not just hit on all of the questions that you're asking, but if you actually walk through and you were to read this in your quiet time, verses 1 through 16 in chapter 8, you're going to see three random scenes, right? Like Jesus is kind of summarizing his preaching ministry in the first few verses. Then he starts to teach on this parable about this sower and the seed and this field. And if you're not from a small town and you didn't grow up on a farm, you're like, I have no idea what any of this means. And then he starts to talk about this lamp, and then he finally starts to talk about a family. And you would think, man, what is this? This is the most jumbled, disconnected thing ever. But the common theme through every single one of them is his word. So I just want to be like biblical today and show you guys how God teaches and how he uses his word, okay? So again, we're going to jump on into it. We're going to see the first thing is how these unexpected people start to share and spread the word of God. Okay, let's jump in. Uh, Verse 1. It says, soon after he went through the cities and villages. So Jesus has been teaching and preaching, proclaiming, uh, and, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and uh, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, and fr- uh, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, and the wife of Chavez, Herod's household manager, and Susan, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So, you start by hearing this like summary of Jesus's preaching ministry, right? He's traveling to different towns and different villages. And what is Jesus doing? Like he's preaching good news. And you wonder like, what is the sermon that Jesus loved to preach? And he already told us back in Luke chapter four, like when he announces his kingdom, he announces what kind of kingdom he's coming. Do you guys remember how he did that? He said, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to bind up uh, the heavy laden. I've come to give healing to the sick. I've come to forgive sinners. So he's preaching this kingdom where he is, in, in fact, the king that has come from heaven to earth to welcome in and show his kingdom. And in his kingdom, there's really good news for bad people. 
And what Jesus is doing, he's also not just proclaiming good news. There's good news on the voice and the lips of Jesus. Good news that sinners can be forgiven. Good news that there's a Father in heaven that you can be reconciled. Good news that God can heal you from the inside out. There is good news in this kingdom. And what we see is immediately, we, not, we also get the list of people traveling with him. You got the 12 disciples and these three women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susan. What do we know about them? Well, first of all, this is just not normal. Like in this context, in this time in human history, for a rabbi and a male teacher to allow women to come and sit at his feet and instruct them, to give them not just access to his public teaching, but access to his private follow-up conversations offstage, that wasn't normal. But these women are with Jesus. Jesus is welcoming these sisters, welcoming them there so they can be built up in their understanding of the word. Women, it should not be a weird thing uh, for us to desire for our women in this room to be strong in the word of God. Uh, that shouldn't be a threat to the church. That shouldn't be a threat to the brothers. Um, you see Jesus, he's investing in these women, saying, man, your roles in the church might look a little different, but what I want is you to be spiritually strong, mature, that you would understand the word of God rightly. Jesus is very different in his culture and in his time. That's not normal. But what do you know about these women? Why are they with him? Well, we know a couple things. Where Mary Magdalene is there because she had a whole bunch of demons, and Jesus came upon and cast out the demonic oppression on her life. Can we just say, I want to follow around Jesus even today because God has done a work in my life. I'm not there out of religious duty. I'm, de- I'm there because I was dead and I've been made alive. I was a slave and I've been set free. Like some of you guys are still running after Jesus because he did something in your life and he's changed you and you can't go back to what you were because you know that's not better, right? And so that's Mary Magdalene. She's there not out of duty, not because she got to go to church, not because she got to give her tithes and offerings. She's there because Jesus set her free and her heart is filled with gratitude. And then you got this lady, Susan. We don't know much about her, but Joanna's an interesting person. Her husband is wealthy, right? She's the business manager for um, King Herod, who was in a crazy amount of power. So she would have had access to about anything in the world she wanted, okay? Money, popularity, power, invitations to those, uh, those dinners, the, those tables. That was her. She had almost everything you would want in life. And yet, where do you find her? Following around a homeless guy who's penniless because his words just hit different. That's where she's at. She's with Jesus because she's saying, I've listened to all the best preachers. I've heard all the best rabbis. I've been in all the best rooms. And I'm telling you, there's no one who loves and teaches and has wisdom and grace like this Jesus. And so they're not only traveling because they've either been helped by Jesus or taught something in Jesus, but they're supporting Jesus's ministry by, it says, giving out of their own financial means because what they truly want is they want Jesus to keep preaching because he's preaching good news. And he's saying there's lots of people around these villages who need to hear good news and need to know this king. And so where are they? They're there because they want to continue to hear the word of God. That's why they're following Jesus. And what are they doing? They're not just sitting and taking notes. They're saying, hey, whatever finances we have, whatever resources we have, we're all in on this King Jesus because we want dead people to hear this good news that they can be made alive in Christ. That's awesome. Salt students, let me just affirm you. You're here today because you have the same heart as a lot of these women, right? You're here today because you have a hunger for God's word. You want to know him. You want to understand his promises. You want to sing to him. You see that he's worthy, right? That's why you're here. You got in your cars, you traveled, you left comforts behind, right? You're not going to just watch Netflix this weekend. You're going to take notes and dial in on the Bible because you want to hear the word of God preached to you. You want it to change and transform you, and that is awesome. Can I just say, please keep doing that? 
Please keep showing up to salt. Please go to a local church. Please continue to let the word of God speak to you in private. That is awesome. It reveals you have a hunger for the word. But the second thing is, is, is these ladies are doing the great work of both spreading and supporting the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is a word-centered ministry. So let me just say, if you're giving sacrificially out of the little earnings that you get as a college kid to a local church or to a ministry that is preaching the word, that is good and God-honoring. That shows that you treasure the advancement of the preaching of God's word because you understand, man, how does the kingdom go forth? It's by word and spirit. We preach and proclaim the word of God. What happens as the word of God is proclaimed? Sinners are convicted of their sin. Jesus Christ is the one savior. People start to, by the spirit of God, start to see that and respond to that in faith and the kingdom advances. That's how this whole thing works. God uses his word to advance his kingdom. The word does the work. So if you're supporting the ministry of the word or you personally are spreading the word, right? You're gonna go back after this and have small groups or discussion groups at some point. Like, and you're that person that's giving your life to that thing that is a good and a God-honoring thing. Just simply wanna say thank you. I think the father champions that posture of serving other people, the word of God. All right, so that's the first thing. We're supposed to be actually not just enjoying the word, being transformed by the word. We actually are supposed to be spreading and supporting the word of God so this kingdom can go forth. Second thing, we are to hear God's word and be transformed with it. This is not a boring book. This will transform the way that you see your brothers and sisters. This will transform the way that you see social constructs. This will transform the way that you see yourself. This will transform the way that you see your future. This will transform the way that you place your hope in, in something that literally is um, victorious in every area of your life. Like This will change you from the inside out. And so what we're going to see is Jesus is going to get back to actually starting to teach and preach. And he's going to say, listen, what are you going to do with this word? All right. So he starts to teach in this parable. I'm going to uh, summarize the parable really quickly for you guys. He says, um, basically, there's this sower, okay? So Jesus is preaching a parable. Parables are short stories that illustrate a big spiritual truth. And he starts by talking about this sower who's got seed. So picture a guy with a big leather bag on his hip. He's got a whole bunch of seed in this bag. And if you had a field that needed to actually have fresh produce, you would hire this guy. He would literally just walk around and throw the seed. And fields in this time were very different than the fields like that we drive by on the way out here. Like there was paths and there was like um, places for animals to walk and they had gravel areas and hard sections and compact. So you would just literally unstrategically just broadly throw seed everywhere. And Jesus says the seed is the word of God and it's going to land on four different kinds of paths. The first is the compact path. The soil was hard so the seed couldn't take root. The second is the seed lands on some rocks. And the seed started to take root, but the roots were shallow, so when the sun came and drop came, it withered up. Third is then the, the seed fell on some weeds and thorny bushes. Eventually it gets choked out because it can't grow up and be strong and mature. Fourth, finally the seed lands on good soil and it takes root and bears fruit a hundredfold. So after sharing this parable, nobody knows what to do with it. So everybody, all the disciples come and say, hey, Jesus, would you explain this to me, okay? Uh, you were teaching and preaching in this parable, something about soils and seeds. I have no idea what this is about. Could you help me understand what this is about? So Jesus is going to reveal to these disciples and women the four different heart postures that respond to the word of God. So um, if you've got your notes, if you've got your phones, take them out. I'm going to give you four heart postures. Your heart is one of these four towards the word of God, okay? Number one, the first one is the hard heart, the hard heart let me read this verse it says this now the the parable is this the seed is the word of god the ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved 
So the first soil is the hard-hearted person. Picture a, a living seed sitting on concrete or a sidewalk, right? It can rain, it can, uh, the sun can come out, but that, that little seed is not going to be able to penetrate that incredibly hard surface. It can't break in. It can't push down roots. And some of you guys have family members and friends um, who are in this place. Like, you can tell them how beautiful Jesus is. You can tell them that God loves them. You can tell them that God wants to forgive them. You can tell them that God has a purpose and a plan for their life. And there is nothing in their heart that responds. It is hard-heartedness. It is deaf ears. There is a rejection of God. Have any of you guys had that moment at a family function where, like, maybe God comes up in a conversation and they cannot wait to change the subject? Has anybody been in a family meal where, like, I'm the pastor, so I always get asked to do the prayer? It's really fun. If you go into ministry, it's so awesome. Every environment is mildly awkward, okay? What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Doesn't mean you play with snakes. No, take a deep breath. I'm not that kind of a pastor. So when I go to family reunions, they usually are like, hey, Chris, would you pray? And you can just always see that one person that's like, oh, can we just get to the turkey? You know, like there's just no desire to commune with God because there's this God's not real he's not good he's not relevant if he is I don't want him in my life because he's not because uh, what I really want to do is me right now and so what gives me hope when I see Jesus talk about hard-hearted people is that some of us in this very room started as hard-hearted people some of you guys rejected the word God for years some of you didn't want to hear what grandma was saying mom was saying preacher was saying dad was saying you guys rejected and were hard-hearted but at some point the spirit of God broke in it tilled up the soil of your heart and the gospel started to land on your heart and make dead things alive, okay? But this text does more than just talk about a hard-heartedness. It talks about a battle that's happening in the human heart. Do you guys know there's a battle happening in every single heart in this room? And there's a spiritual battle happening for the lives of the people on your campus. Did you guys notice that the word was faithfully sown? It lands on this hard heart, and it says that a bird snatches it away. Who is that bird? Jesus says it's the devil. The devil is alive and active, and he wants nothing more than you to believe lies that you could be consumed with guilt, shame, self-hate, or be really distracted and think that you're so awesome that your religious activity is sufficient. He wants to keep you from the truth that you're a sinner who needs a Savior named Jesus who loves you so much that he died for you. There is a battle going on for the lives of people, and it's real, heaven and hell, Jesus and the devil. There's an actual battle happening at human hearts and i think this needs to impact the way that we pray for the people on our campus we need to pray spirit of god would you hold back evil spirit of god would you use your word to break in spirit of god would you till up and make hard hearts soft would we pray that god would would do all that he can do second is shallow heart okay second is the shallow heart we got a hard heart we got a shallow heart look at verse 13 and the one on the rocks are those when they hear the word receive it with joy but they uh but these have no root they believe for a while and in time of testing, they fall away. So the shallow heart gets excited about God for a short season. There's an emotional high, some level of joy. They're learning about God. They're making friends at Salt Company. They come to an event like this. They love the music. They're very excited for a very short amount of time. But guess what? Tony talked about this in one of his early sermons, Suffering Hits. It's the true test. Are you all in or are you not? right? The diagnosis comes. The girlfriend breaks up with you. You get cut from that team. You lose that sense of identity. You fail out of that class. Your parents go through a divorce. Someone you love gets sick and dies, and you get angry. Instead of leaning into a God who can comfort you in seasons of suffering, you push away, right? This is the test, right? There's no deep roots, and so I just want to be honest. What's our application today is with this little area is like, we need to be really honest in the way that we talk about Christianity to other people. 
Guys, have you guys heard the prosperity gospel that like if you just believe in God, he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and blessed, and you're going to have your abs until you're 47, and your hairline's never going to go receding? Nobody, okay, that was a joke. Y'all didn't get it. Gosh, <laughs> clearly not a proponent of the prosperity gospel. I would have been sp- speaking life into my hair follicles. Okay, so, um, so all that to say is like that's not Christianity, right? Like that's not Christianity. Like if we're selling Christianity that way, there's no paradigm for pain and suffering in that place, right? Like if, if God is just your ticket to comfort and your best life now, what happens when life gets hard? Because we live in a fallen, broken world. And so now because we live in a fallen, broken world that's tainted with sin and chaos, that is longing for the king to come back and make it all right, when we experience pain and suffering on the inside or on the outside, we don't know what to do with it. But if you're actually a biblical Christian, you would understand the God that we worship is one who suffered. We have a suffering servant king. That was his life. Homeless, broke, rejected, dead on a cross next to criminals. And then when did he get his glory? When after his obedience and his pain and suffering, he was exalted by the father. When do you get your seat? Not on this side. There's comfort coming, but it might not be here. So should we be honest about what Christianity looks like? That this is, this is not an easy best life right now, but what you get in the gospel is God, and he comforts people even in seasons of suffering. The third thing is the distracted heart, the distracted heart. Let me read verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus says there are some that are willing to come to things like this and listen and go through the motions and hear sermons and maybe sing songs and get involved in salt company and maybe even go to a church. But you know what? Jesus is nothing more than a religious hobby for some folks because as the word tries to land on their heart, their heart is already filled with the love of this world. These are people focused on more stuff, better relationships, more self-glory, starting the career, crushing it, getting into grad school, making the investments, doing the thing, having the beautiful family, getting all the kids. If I could just work my way from the bottom to the top, that's really what I'm pursuing. I'm not pursuing Jesus, this king, or his kingdom. I, I'm on a mission to make much of me and get the shiny things of this world. And so when the word of God lands on that heart, it has nowhere to take root because Jesus is not going to be your second place king. He needs to be in the primary place of leadership of your life. And so is all that stuff bad? I have a family. I have kids. I have a house. Okay? We make investments. None of that stuff's bad, but what's primary in my life? All of that stuff is but just a tool to be used for the king. It's not my treasure. My treasure is Jesus Christ. What I am is not an owner of anything. I'm a steward of everything. My gift, my time, my money, whatever it is, Guys, I'm going to blink, and I'm going to be on my deathbed. You are like grass in a field. It comes today, and it's gone tomorrow. Do you guys understand how, how short your life is? It was like yesterday, and I was one of a college student sitting in a room like this. Now I'm 40, have no hair, and it will be like this, and I'll be checking myself into a retirement community, and it will be like this, and my kids will be talking about me at a funeral. Life is so short. And so I want to, I want to live my life for something that matters and more than just 50 60 70 80 years i have here so uh, what's the primary application of this distracted heart i think number one i think he's calling out non-believers who are saying jesus i don't want you because what i really want is this girlfriend jesus i don't want you what i really want is to do me for right now jesus i don't want you because i really want to be the king of my life right now 
Jesus, I don't want you. Maybe I'll, I'll do you later when I get the house and the kids and I'm a little more settled and I have enough money, then we can talk. But right now, I'm going to be the leader of my life. He's calling them out right there. But I also want to just say, Christians, we can't just go, yeah, 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 that's a problem for non-believers who are stiff-arming God because they don't want to surrender control of their life and they're falling in love with the things of the world. Christian, it's not possible for you to lose your salvation, okay? Because you didn't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to lose it. That's really good news. But it's very possible for you to waste your life on temporary things that will mean nothing in 10,000 years. You can live your life wrongly. You can. You can choose to let your affections for God grow cold, and you can choose to serve Stuff that God is going to say is just going to be in a junkyard. It's going to rust and moths are going to eat it up. It's going to be decaying. But you're going to take a lot of joy showing everybody in your garage all the toys that you have. And you know what's going to happen when you leave those to your kids? They're going to sell them. It means nothing. So don't waste your life on distracted stuff. Christian, where, are you, where is the affection for God being choked out by the worries of this world? Where are you so focused that like the fruit of the gospel can't even bear fruit in your heart right now? Because you're like so caught up in all the stuff. Man, we could have distracted hearts. The final one is a fruitful heart. A fruitful heart. That's what it says in verse 15. As for that, uh, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Okay, so there's this soil that's soft towards God's word. They receive it and they're transformed by it. And it's this beautiful picture of what happens in the life of the Christian, the gospel, the word of God, the word of this king, right? It's not just out there. It's not just something to study. It starts to work like a seed in the ground to produce a new kind of fruit in the life, right? There's roots that go down. There's fruits that come out. What does this look like in the life of the Christian? Where is the fruit of God's word in your life, Christian? Where it is, it's in your, your character formation. Over time, you're going to grow to look more and more like Jesus. More of your life will start to mark his spirit, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his goodness, his gentleness, his kindness, his faithfulness, his self-control. We've already heard stories and testimonies. What happened in students' lives is the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ took root. You forgave. That's powerful. What happened is you started to run from sin and started to run towards Jesus. You started to say, no, 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 maybe my ways weren't the right ways. Maybe God's ways were in here. You started to take off that old sinful pattern of gossip and greed and envy and pride and lust and started to put on holiness and righteousness and Christ. Has God not bared fruit in your life, Christian? Man, I am not where I want to be. I'm not who I once was, though. God has changed me. There is a difference in my life, a joy in my life, an intentionality to my life, a worship to my life. The king has taken residence in my heart, and I think my life is starting to look more and more like his kingdom. I love this, though. So if you're like here today and you're like, man, I've been doing the Christianity thing for like a year, maybe two years. I've been all in. I've been coming to Salt. I've been hanging with these amazing staff. I've been reading my Bible, been learning the songs. And I got to be honest, Chris, like I still find myself looking back at pornography. I got to be honest, Chris, like, I still kind of hate my dad. I got to be honest, Chris, like, I just cannot shake this sense of worthlessness. Like, I know the verse about I'm more than a conqueror in Christ, and I'm loved in him, and I'm his son's daughter, but I just, I keep drifting back into this, like, place where I feel worthless. Let me just encourage you. Did you see Jesus' instruction? He says that you're going to bear fruit, but would you be patient? Hold fast to the word. Hold fast to the word. One of the most frustrating things in my life is that I've had to learn that sanctification is slow. 
way slower than I wish it would be. It's taken years to get free from pornography, years to start to say my identity isn't in the, the position I hold or the team that I make, but in the king that I serve. It takes a long time, but we've got all of eternity to be shaped in more of the form of glory of Christ. You've got this whole life, and he will finish what he started in you. Would you hold fast to the word, even in hard seasons? All right, he's going to transition and go to a quick parable. I'm going to actually skip that. I'm going to go skip down to uh, the final part of this, is I want to show you how Jesus reorients this sense of family based on what you do with his word. So at the very end of his sermon, he, he ends it with giving another parable in verse 16 through 18, but I'm going to skip to verse 19. And what Jesus does is he said, hey, by the way, this whole thing started with the word being preached, people being transformed by the word. So why are these women included? Why are these disciples included in these first few verses? They're a model of what should happen in the Christian's life, right? They responded to the word, they pursued King Jesus, and they gave their life to starting to spread and support the ministry of God's word. Then Jesus starts to preach. What is your heart posture towards the word of God? Then he's going to redefine who's in your spiritual family based on what you have chosen to do with the word. Look at this, verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he told them, your mother, and so the disciples come to him and said, hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. So this is a big problem, right? Jesus had been preaching, big crowd comes. There's lots of people that want to hear Jesus preach. He's a good preacher. And so everybody is trying to come and hear Jesus preach. And you're thinking, my, of all the people that are coming, strangers, random people, people from other nations, people I will never talk to again, we should probably like shoo them out and make room for uh, Jesus' mom and immediately biological family, but he doesn't do that. Look what he says. But he answered to them, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it, who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus transforms our sense of family. He's saying we are a spiritual family based not just because we uh, all go to salt or all similar ages or maybe we're all going to try to vote the same way. No, that's not what makes us a unique people. What makes you a spiritual family is you've seen King Jesus rightly. You've responded to his word. It says you've heard it and you've obeyed it. You said, Jesus, your gospel wins. I believe in you. And then he says, I'm going to do, um, what happens is, is there's a group of people that say, no, no, I'm not just going to hear the word, but I'm going to do the word. I'm going to do the word. So as a Christian, what's the posture of a Christian? We hear the word of God, and we look to obey the word of God. We should be a community that says, God, whatever your word says, we want to do. It might not be comfortable to love people from different nationalities. We want to do that because your word would call us to that. It might not be easy to love and forgive, but Jesus, it's your word that wins. It might not be easy just to have a uniquely different sexual ethic in a world that says you get to define yourself however you want and you get to do whatever you want. But Jesus, you're my king of not just my salvation someday when I die. You're the king of my body right now, and I want to worship you with it. And I want you to win. And so, God, whatever you say, I want to labor to do. Would we be that kind of community? And I believe your campus, your family, your teammates, they need to see people that more than just sing songs and get hype, but they see people that bow their knee to King Jesus and live for his glory, not just in word, but in deed. Would we be a unique, distinct kind of people in the places we live, work, and play? That people could say, man, that, that person doesn't just give lip service to their faith. They obey their king. It's clear that he's their treasure of their life. So here it is. I just want to close with this. Are you still hungry for the word? What's been your heart posture towards the word? 
I don't want to close um, by just asking you, is there anything that the Lord has been calling you to do? I, I hung on to this word when he said that his family is those who hear my word and do it. And I just think that's, it's so awesome when you hear a word from God, uh, when maybe the spirit prompts you to surrender, to give, to go, to do that thing. But it's a whole other thing to actually do it. And I just think there might be people in this room where the spirit of God has been telling you to break off that relationship. To like literally figure it out with the whole like website thing. To like stop going to that place because you know bad things are going to happen. Like to actually start pursuing people that are healthy. God has spoken to you and called you to something that he knows is going to give you life. And I just want you to be honest. What is God calling you to do? And will you obey? Will you obey? I can promise you that blessing follows obedience. It never is easy. I've been called out of relationships that I really wanted to work, but it was a grace to me. Years later, I can see that. I've been called out of a career that I was really comfortable in to start a church that I thought was most likely going to fail. And God was faithful. Amen? He's been faithful. And I've seen his faithfulness. My family shouldn't make sense. Guys, I'm a dad with four kids, and I didn't have a dad. But God called me to start a family that would be uniquely oriented around his word and his ways and his kingdom. And I think God's blessed that. So I just want to say, whatever God's called you to do, would you be a person today that does it? That you would get to your, your ages as you season the life and say, I've got stories to tell. God has called me, I've obeyed, and it's been an amazing story. I think God gets the glory, and we get a lot of joy in that. So let me pray. So God, I just want to say thank you for these students. Thank you that you're a God who, again, speaks you're a God who's living and active. God, you're a God who reveals your character and your nature. We don't have to wonder, what is our God like? What is our God going to do? What is his purposes? What is his promise? What is his plan? How does this story end? Where did we come from? We know all of the answers of those questions. We know your very heart because you have spoken through your word and revealed yourself. And you're not just a big cosmic God that powerfully speaks the world into universe and speaks us into recreation. You are a God who speaks to our hearts individually. You're a God who's whispering to students, calling them away from sin, calling them to obedience to yourself, calling them to a better joy. So I simply want to say thank you, Jesus, that you have been so kind, that when I've been hard-hearted, when I've had my ears plugged because I didn't want to hear what you had to say about that area of my life, you've broken in, you've pursued, you kept speaking, you had a better word on my life, you called me to more. So God, thank you for being that kind of king. I pray that these students would hear your voice. Spirit of God, would you speak? Word, would you speak? Would you soften hearts? Would you open ears? Would you give faith to those who don't have faith today? And God, would you grow, grow this family to a people who love your word, delight in your word, run towards your word, listen to your word, yield to your word, are convicted by your word, Oh, God, would you speak to us today a better word over our lives? In Jesus' name we pray.